I like to keep managing the ad accounts. What's going to enable me to do the best possible job of, of optimizing the advertising account, whether it's Facebook ads, whether it's Google ads. Hello and welcome to the Optimized Store Owners Show, a podcast that helps frustrated store owners become optimized store owners. We are your hosts, Aaron and Christian. We want to invite you to join us each week as we share tips, tactics, and strategies from the most inspiring entrepreneurs in the e-commerce industry. This podcast will help you add flexibility, stability, and happiness into your life. Ready? Let's go. 2022 is going to be an amazing year for y'all. I know it. So today's episode is a blueprint of what you need to do to continue to grow your e-commerce store online. So there's so many exciting new and improved ways to attract and acquire customers, but you cannot be complacent. So in this episode, you're going to learn these three things and more. Number one, how to create an amazing customer experience. Number two, how to grow your business with less data. And number three, how to shift back into creating great creative like copywriting, videography, and graphic design. This is a super value-packed episode, guys. Chloe is amazing. Let's go ahead and jump into it. On my end for this. Hello, hello. Good. All right. I'm going to start on Zoom. Perfect. All right, guys. Uh, Chloe, welcome to the Optimized Store Owner Show. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me on, Aaron. You are very welcome. All right. So just uh, I, I really want to typically don't do this, but just want to get a, a little bit of background because you I feel like you've lived two different lives here, 20 years in e-commerce <laughs> um, on the client side and then now have moved. So let's let's talk about that and then we can dive a little bit deeper um, into yeah, specifics. It's not quite as simple as 20 20 years client side because I kind of I did a bit client side and I did a lot agency side and then I then I've been kind of this weird advisor writer speakery thing that I'm now lucky enough to be now but they all kind of overlap when even when I was agency some people felt like I was in-house so yeah it's um it's been an interesting couple of decades certainly what would you like to know so I guess on the on the client side I'm actually I'm curious because you were working um for streetwear brands, right? Uh, or working for a streetwear brand on the client side, is that correct? Uh, originally, it was gifts, so I sold okay. a lot of gifts. Um, then uh, I got uh, when we had the agency, I kind of project managed a lot of high street concession brands going online for the first time. So I've done a lot of different <laughs> brands over the years. I wouldn't say there's any specialism, but I guess gifts and fashion are probably the two I've done the most with. Okay. When it when it comes to okay, so I guess the streetwear side, what is I guess what is defined from that too, right? So we've actually heard that term a lot more recently, I would say in the last six or eight months on at least my side. Uh, before I just considered everything to be like a clothing boutique or just like a specific brand, but what actually defines it as the the streetwear, and then how is that different than than other apparel clothing? I guess. Aaron, I don't think I've ever worked for a streetwear brand. Okay. Maybe so I was, I was re- trying to I was trying to give you an out to get away from that okay. without it being an obvious. I don't know what you're talking okay. about. Okay, but so I um I, I guess haven't I was reading ever it worked as for a streetwear brand. Okay, as a high street retailer. Okay, so it's specifically yeah. for the package. Okay, high street retailer is just a in the UK a high street retailer is just a fashion brand who sells in a physical store. Oh, okay. So okay. you'd find them on Fifth Avenue, for example, or Oxford Street or your local high street. So they essentially they sell in a mall, I suppose, in American speak. 
Gotcha. Yeah, no, definitely a Fifth Avenue or whatever. So okay, so it's it's basically like a brick and mortar in, in U.S. terms, I guess. That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what's the what is the I guess the big difference between that and then then moving that was the offline and then going to the online with the I guess you had a Google Ads agency on the agency side. Was the what's the big difference between those two? Well, I suppose the. The big difference from a skill set front is how you generate leads for the business. So, um, you know, when you're trying to generate leads for an agency, it's all very much one on one selling. Whereas when you're doing it through e-commerce, it's obviously very much more Google ads, Facebook ads, affiliates, email. Facebook ads didn't exist when I started when I started doing all this. But, you know, that that kind of mix of online marketing. But I suppose the. In terms of what you're actually delivering, doesn't change a great deal whether you're in-house or outhouse or outsourced, because you're still trying to create the best possible marketing experience and marketing results for the client. It's all about the cost per acquisition at the end of the day, whichever channel you're doing it, and whether you're physically sitting in the retailer's office or whether you are sitting in an agency. Okay, so that brings up a good question. With the how would you guys, how did you guys define cost per acquisition um, back then whenever you said like before Facebook ads or even now, right, with, with other advertising? What did you define as cost per acquisition um, and how did you measure that? Well, for me, I like to keep managing the ad accounts straightforward and I like to focus on what's going to enable me to do the best possible job of ad of optimizing the advertising account, whether it's Facebook ads, whether it's Google ads, or whether it's the Twitter ads I've been setting up today, um, you've got to try and make it really manageable. So whilst the purest in me and the person who loves to get to, you know, the nitty gritty perfect number wants to have a cost per acquisition that takes into account cancels, returns by traffic source that takes into account cost of goods sold and gets really accurate and perfect around all of that and takes into account all the marketing costs and all the rest of it. In order to actively, effectively, day-to-day, minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour optimize an online advertising source, you need to make it a lot simpler than that. So assuming a brand has all its products at a fairly similar AOV, average order value, and a fairly similar margin level, then I'd look at... You know, get the spreadsheet out, work out what the overhead costs are looking like, what the averages are across the business and use that to create a a cost per acquisition we can work to happily. You know, so keep it as simple as possible. So so the team who are managing the ads and managing the ad campaigns can go, okay, we've worked out for the last quarter, uh, you know, that's how much profit we had to play with and we're willing to spend half of it on ads. So that's what our CPA is. So then you can just really quickly and easily optimize the account based on a CPA. If the AOV is fluctuating, but the uh, the margin is still fairly consistent, then you can start using a ROAS because that's going to be so return on advertising spend, which uh, deals with changing AOVs and changing product price points for you. If, however, you have massively different margins and it all gets a lot more complicated, I'm not sure you want me to get into that, but I can get into that. But that's that's how I would treat CPAs and making sure your whatever marketing you're doing is working out cost effectively for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. That does answer the question. And then I guess from that, uh, whenever you were working specifically for that, uh, like just the advertising site, did you guys also have like an email or other platforms um, 
so that you like because sometimes the ad may come through for Facebook, but they are acquired on email or whatever else. Like, how did you guys work with attribution if you did anything with email or was it like another third party, you know, resource that was using the platform and figure out where attribution came from? Attribution has always been a problem throughout my career. Um, when I when I started out, my very first job in e-commerce was working for a mail order brand, so a brand that sent out catalogs and had physical stores. So back in the early 2000s, we were trying to work out if we stop sending catalogs in this area, does that affect our store sales, which is a full on attribution nightmare. And then you overlay, well, if we're doing affiliates and if we're doing email and we're doing Google ads, how does all that start to work into it and it becomes a really really complicated nightmare because at the end of the day the the, you know the, the fact of the matter is to keep spouting cliches at you all these marketing methods have an impact you know if any anyone goes to you know that lovely report in google analytics which shows you the path to purchase very few customers have only used one route most mm. have seen something and they've seen something else and they've seen something else and then they come back so it's never a perfect mix and that mix tends to change from consumer to consumer so I tend to and this is awful of me to say but I tend to try and ignore attribution day to day because for small you know for small businesses it's not worth worrying about on a day-to-day basis it becomes a massive distraction when you're turning over multi multi millions then you can start worrying about it because that's the point at which it's actually going to make a difference. And when you're possibly, and I say possibly because you're not necessarily going to be able to do this, you're possibly going to have enough data to be able to actually work some of the answers out. But the the problem with all of it is different consumers react to different things. Consumers don't remember what they have and haven't seen. So it becomes very, very complicated to get attribution perfect. So my kind of workaround to it is to as well as be managing each of your channels individually to you know squeeze as many sales as you can out of them is to also take a a wider view maybe once a month maybe once a quarter depending on your your business size and the amount of orders you've got going through to take a look and stand back and go hold on a minute if we take you know get an idea of what the overlaps are between the channels which is fairly straightforward to do look at your overall marketing spend and as your marketing spend as a whole how does that reflect against your overall sales and how is that mark that um, percentage changing month to month and quarter to quarter based on what's going on in your business and then come up with some best guesses when you start having problems but I've seen I've seen businesses waste an awful lot of time on attribution when it hasn't actually helped them it's just been a distraction and something which just sucks a whole pile of marketing team's time when they could actually be driving better results and improving the message and bringing consumers closer to you especially as we you know we go into this time where we've got increased levels of competition and we're having to work harder to get that sale to come through the door we're going to see more messages having to be sent more soft messages having to be sent that are more about story, less about 20% off by now. So it's going to get more complicated. So don't don't get your knickers in a twist about attribution, I guess, would be my the, the one liner that sums up the little rant I've just been on. Whenever. OK, so uh, I love the uh, the UK reference there, the knickers in a twist. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that for, for some things later <laughs> yeah, I, today. I suddenly, I thought I was saying, I have no idea if that works at all on the other side of the pond. But basically, just just don't don't get too, uh, too het up about it. Don't lose sleep over it. 
Okay. I, I used context with what you're saying. To, I, I gotcha. Um, so if you were talking to, like, a, I would say a smaller business, right? So it sounds like you're, I mean, if they're doing that much revenue, then attribution does make more sense. But like, let's say you're doing $10,000 or like 20, you know, 15,000 pounds per month or whatever. Um, what would you suggest to them to acquire as many customers as par- as profitably as possible? Like what's working that you've seen right now for clothing and apparel brands? Um, what would you suggest? What kind of strategies would you suggest for them to, to move forward right now to acquire customers? I guess the big one at the moment is to diversify your sales channels. If we learn anything from last year, it's don't get too focused in on one. You know, Mm. over the last five years, we've seen a lot of brands build up who are just Facebook ads, Facebook ads, Facebook ads. And a lot of them had a really turbulent 2021 because of all the cookie issues we've seen happening and and all that breakdown of being able to optimize and so forth. So you need to have more than one marketing channel in your mix. Email should be bringing you phenomenal return on investment. So that's something you want set up. You want your automation set up and you want that working for you. Now, obviously, you have to have the email address before you can send the marketing. So it's not pure new customer acquisition, but a strong email sign up. Maybe, you you know, collecting some zero party data, like asking, um, a, you know, a simple question to hook them in to then get the email and then send them some kind of very simply segmented welcome campaign. You'll see your sign up rates go up and you'll see your sales off the back of that go up. So it has a little bit of a part to pay in new customer acquisition as well as the retention piece. Um, So email, get it in place. I'm hearing a lot of talk around SMS. A lot of people had a very good impact with SMS in Q4. How you make it work slightly different to um, don't just slightly different to email. So do not just copy and paste your email activity onto SMS. That is not the right way to go about it. But again, you have to capture the data before you can do that. So it's not true new customer acquisition. So on the new customer acquisition front, I would take an unemotional look at your Facebook ads, keep doing what is working, but don't don't kind of get too obsessed with trying to find what's left in Facebook ads to work for you. You know, be take a cold, hard nose look at it um, and listen to the guys who are still making that work really well and, and take their tips, tips and tricks. Broadly, what that is, is massive audiences, really strong creative is what we're seeing work on Facebook ads to, to massively simplify it. Um, and then start looking for some other ways in which you can go about getting consumers in. The reason Facebook ads work so well for people was because it made it very easy to find an audience who were interested in your products. And that's the key thing it did. So how else can you go about finding an audience who are interested in your products, which generally means some form of partnership at its absolute widest sense. So we're talking affiliate marketing campaigns, you know, finding those publishers, AKA affiliates who are interested in promoting um, your products in return for a commission on sales, who have blogs, uh, YouTube channels, et cetera, where they're talking about your type of content, which, as you probably worked out, massively overlaps with the world of influencers. There are influencers you can build proper partnerships with. All of these require testing and measurement. You know, don't pick one influencer and try and make that work. Pick multiple, build relationships with them, test different things. Different things will work with different influencers. Different things will work with different audiences. And if you find somebody who works really well, go and create a whole range of products with them to sell to their audience. And then you've got partnering with other brands as well. This is something which the subscription side of the industry 
have been good at in the last few years, but most other businesses haven't been. Uh, my favorite example I saw recently was I was buying um, a box of beer through the through the internet. Interesting box of collection of uh, you know microbrewery cans of beer. Nice. And when I checked out on the order confirmation page, so I've placed my order, everything's done. There was an advert for a subscription coffee company who they'd done a swap with. So I'm sure if I'd swap, if I'd uh, done a full checkout on the coffee company's website, I'd have seen an ad for the beer. And I love the fact we've got beer to get you drunk and give you a hangover. And we've got coffee to cure the hangover. Mm-hmm. When the beer arrived in the box was a flyer for the same coffee company. And I've since had posts arrive from that coffee company. So they're swapping a lot between these two businesses because they know they're attracting the same consumer, the consumer who's happy to subscribe to things, the consumer who's happy to buy food products online. And there's probably some values and some demographic positioning going on in there, too. So there's an awful lot of things you can test that will enable you to diversify that mix and bring on really great customers for your business. How important do you think is the organic side of things, right? Um, and having a, a good, strong uh, content marketing uh, foundation? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, it's tough because it's every year it becomes harder to build, you know, pure organic visibility on the search engines. We've seen over the last two years, the pandemic, we've seen a massive increase in the number of businesses selling online and the number of people talking about products online, which has made it even harder than it was previously to rank. So I think, you know, there's still a a great opportunity in SEO, but I would think more less about the SEO side of it and more about what's the content we need to create to create a strong relationship with our customers and our prospective customers to get them to come and buy from us. You know, what, what's the great content we can put out there for them? And if that resonates with your customers and your prospective customers and gets them feeling more connected to your brand, trusting you more, then they're going to buy more from you and that will bring you up the, um, the rankings anyway. So that's, that's my kind of um, sideways getting out of really answering your question, answer to your question. That's good. I think you've mentioned that a couple of times now where, um, it's, it's more about, yeah, that relationship with the customer, um, less about here's the 20% discount by now. Um, and how can you, you know, connect that better, right? Throughout all your social, social channels um, and sort of, yeah, interconnect that. So yeah, no, I think that was good. Hey, so owners, are you ready to grow and scale your online business predictably and profitably? We've created a free 15-minute training that will walk you through the five key areas every online store needs to achieve financial success. You can grab the free training by going to optimizestoreownercom forward slash ecom dash training or clicking the link below in the podcast description. Again, that is optimizedstoreownercom forward slash ecom dash training. What, what have you seen from the offline? So... Uh, everything you said has just been like, I feel like on point. Um, but there's one area that I want to know if you've had more, a little bit more insight into, which is like that customer experience after the purchase, right? So it's uh, once they've made the purchase, like you said, with the script, subscription, they partner with people. But like, what does it look like 
whenever they're going to make their first purchase to make a, like a, a non-subscription world, but they go from their first purchase to make their second. And then like, how do you continue to personalize that experience to somebody? Have you seen any good examples or have some good um, strategies for, for keeping those customers? Cause acquiring them is one thing, but getting them to have a higher lifetime value, I think is really where businesses can grow. And I don't know if you have any insight into that. Oh, loads, loads of insight into that. Um, it, what, you know, my very first job in e-commerce was working on mail order catalogs where, you know, 90% of our catalogs were sent to people who previously bought from us in order to get them to buy again. So it's something which, you know, I've been, I kind of learned from day one and it always surprises me how many e-commerce businesses don't focus on getting the repeat order because, you know, when I was building my catalog distribution list 20 years ago, Almost the first line that went on, because I knew it was going to be one of the most profitable catalogs we sent out, were what we called our bounce backs, which were the catalogs we put into the box that had been, you know, the order box that had been generated by the catalog that arrived last week. And it always it just Mm. continues to blow my mind that someone receives a catalog from you. They make a purchase and then they get their goods in the box with the same catalog in it again and they'll buy again in large numbers because one of the best 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 times to get someone to buy from you for a second time is straight after they buy from you the first time hmm. none of this we're going to wait six months no they will buy straight away if you ask them to and if you give them a good enough experience from the first product to do it so how that kind if you're not producing a catalog which i know may, many businesses aren't because they are expensive things to put together but having a strong piece that goes into the into the box is 101 you know so a flyer that's saying free uh, returns or free delivery on your next order not a massive discount just something you also need to make sure that box arrives in a great way and that the communications they get on the way to that box arriving are really good because you can screw it up completely if that doesn't go well and you, to put something surprising and awesome in that box will really help too. Um, I had a friend of mine was on my podcast the other day and we were discussing this sort of stuff. And he was saying about how they sell beauty products. So you, you often historically have had like those um, kind of squidgy plastic foam things for holding stuff in the box as it gets oh, yeah, sent yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which are awful from a sustainability standpoint because mm-hmm. e- and from a customer perception point as well because even if they're the ones which you pour water on because they're made of potato starch and they dissolve they still on first glance look like the plastic ones which is a bad impact to have so they got popcorn obviously neither sugary nor salty because that would be really sticky but they got raw raw popcorn and they were using that as a packaging material and the customers just got really excited about it, it that's was quite so cool cheap- it was, it was awesome. It had so much impact, was cheap, was sustainable. Um, they had to put um, notes in it eventually saying this is not edible popcorn because mm. people were eating it. But that just creates a wow. It's it's good values wise. Um, it looks cool. People share it on social. But you can also do um, free gifts. So there's a, a another brand we had on the podcast who sell products made from beeswax. And they're all about helping the bees. So they put um, a little packet of wildflower seeds mm. in their parcel, which is really on brand and on message. People will get, oh, brilliant. They love bees. They've given me a way to help the bees. This is really cool. Costs them almost nothing because they buy it in like 20 kilo sacks and then put it in a teeny tiny little 
you know, piece of cardboard that's got their branding on it, but really powerful. So you can create a little bit of a wow that will also help you get the get the repeat purchase. And then it's about making sure you continue having that conversation with the customer. You're there to help them use the product. Um, like, uh, and then one more example on that. I have this is my um, my diary because I'm old school um, and it's various pieces of notepad held together with oh, cool. um, elastics. Right. So I bought the piece of leather and the elastics from a company called Paper Republic, who are based in Austria. And they had a post-purchase sequence that had videos of how to put it all together when it arrived, which meant when it arrived, I knew what I was doing. I wasn't going, I've got a piece of leather and three pieces of elastic and four notebooks. What do I do? So they made that process feel much more um, more exciting. They removed the pain point of, oh, my God, what do I do with these these pieces? And that you know, leads you to feel like a customer before you even got the product in your, in your hand, which means then you're going to talk about it more and you're going to buy from them again in the future. So it's it's not as simple as just putting up a remarketing campaign that hits them in two months time. Um, there's a lot you can do to build the warmth, and build the brand relationship ready to get them to buy again. Yeah, no, those are great examples. I'm going to try to find uh, the popcorn example, but I love the video side of things, especially for... Like we work a lot with clothing, so I'm just thinking: if is there a way to generally like give people videos on like how to style certain types of outfits? Like you made your first purchase, like here's three style hacks or style tips. Um, so I love the video example, mm-hmm. and it's just like uh, to your point of like a soft touch. How do you add value to somebody without trying to sell them, but just letting them know um, this is how you basically wear the, these types of items? So. Um, that's just really smart. I haven't really heard of that. It makes sense, right? But I've never really heard of that. So you did have a ton of insight on that. What, uh, from, from that, right? So the customer experience, the lifetime value, which is something uh, we're really focused on acquiring the customer. Uh, you mentioned earlier the content creation side. What, uh, I know things are probably a little bit different. You guys run an ads in the UK versus the US, but I mean, we're all humans. What kind of creation um, have you guys seen work really well uh, to drop costs for, for acquiring customers on social? Well, I just flag up that I have do not have my hands in anyone's ad accounts at the moment. So gotcha. this is based on conversations with other people, not on numbers I've seen, which doesn't devalue it, hopefully. But no, I no, just no. thought for, for the clarity of the audience, just to be, just in case anyone thinks I'm managing, you know, a hundred grand worth of Facebook ads, I'm not at the moment. Um, but the things which I, I think one of the, one of the massive trends we're going to see in 2022 is this shift from um, the shift to great copywriting, great storytelling, great video, great graphics, instead of I'm a ninja at manipulating the targeting settings on Facebook ads, Twitter ads, Google ads, etc. Because with the, the death of as such of cookies, the algorithms have less data to work with. So the algorithms are less clever. You've got to give them more to enable them to do their greatness which means going down to to niche small audiences is no longer as powerful as it was therefore being able to manipulate the data is less powerful than the creative plus we've had the competition go up so this creative piece you've got to have cut through you've got to be of interest to the consumer and we're kind of coming back to the skill sets that were really huge and important kind of 
kind of 10, 20 years ago and before. Mm -hmm. And those great copywriting skills, great um, graphical skills are going to be coming back. That doesn't really, that's just kind of Chloe's rant. That doesn't really give any practical advice. So practically, I would invest some time on watching shopping channels and watching the infomercial channels, which I know sounds, you know, kind of we're looking, we're looking at George Foreman grill type stuff. We want to be going and watching those and see the way they layer up the offers, see the way they convince you that the fat burner 3000, which I've made up, apologies <laughs> if anyone's actually made that product. I'm not talking about your product. I'm invent, trying to invent something. You know, how do they go about it with testimonials? Social proof and testimonials are gold. Um, how do they go about it with stacking offers, with showing, making something sound so brilliant? That's what you need to be bringing to your ads, along with a large helping of social proof and understanding what's helping your consumers buy. We're seeing consumers wanting more connection. We're seeing consumers want to make better purchasing decisions. They want to make sure their money or some of them want to make sure their money is going somewhere good. So uh, to a brand that's helping um, impoverished people, to a brand that's doing something good for the planet. So you've got to make sure you've got those messages going across as well, but work out how those different levers work for your customers. So there's a lot of creative testing to be doing. Obviously, dynamic ads on Facebook ads can make that an awful lot easier for you. So give that a go. Um, if you're running influencer campaigns, a key part of that is that you need to have ownership of the content the influencer is creating. So you can use it across your ad platforms because that's hugely powerful. And the other kind of give you another a third quick creative tip is use TikTok creator marketplace where you can go on and get TikTok people to create videos for you. You use that to create videos that you then use on Facebook and other ad platforms because TikTok is kind of where it is creatively at the moment. And a lot of brands are seeing good results from taking TikTok content and using it on other platforms because it's, it's got kind of, I guess, the catnip for the eyes that we're looking for in terms of driving engagement. Catnip for the eyes. All right. If we get nothing else from this podcast, I've got the, <laughs> the best slogans uh, or uh, phrases here. Catnip for the eyes. That is so good. Um, kind of as we wrap up here, I wanted to, uh, maybe it's more of a rapid fire. You just have so much knowledge here in this, uh, in this space, which is, uh, so good. I have a page full of notes here. What would you say the biggest mistakes or kind of like misconceptions, uh, people have for, uh, selling online, whether it's a big brand or a small brand, just kind of maybe some general tips. Oh, that's easy. The first one is thinking you don't have to spend any money in your drive sales. Um, you know, you have to spend money on ads one way or another. Find an ad platform that works because then you're going to get traffic through that will enable you to learn how to optimize your business to sell further. If you think you can grow a business successfully purely on the output of your own Twitter handle or Instagram <laughs> handle or TikTok handle, you are, you are in the 1% if you manage to achieve that because the faster you get customers coming through, the faster you learn, the faster you improve anything. So spend some money on ads. The, um, the other thing, the other hugely awful thing that people do is they put something live and then it doesn't work and they write off an entire channel. You know, the two big ones for this are you put um, 
you set up your Google shopping campaigns. That's when you put a product directly on the Google, um, the Google platform and people pay and click through to your website and you just leave it and you never optimize it or do anything with it. You have to optimize the ad platforms. The other one is someone who's boosted two posts on Facebook for $20 each. Uh, they didn't drive any sales. And they go, well, Facebook ads doesn't work for us. There are a million and one strategies you can use on the Facebook ad platform, on the Google ad platform, on the TikTok ad platform. You have to test and optimize to find that one that works for you. And, tr and you're spending $40 and declaring it doesn't work, isn't going to work. It doesn't work for anyone right out the bat. You have to optimize. Sorry, got quite ranty there, but no, that's, that's one perfect. which is, is just so frustrating because you're just spending money pointlessly. Now, I think it's good because uh, we say that a lot, too. And I, I feel like, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm too ranty, but um, you're a guest on the show, so it's perfect for you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. will rant for you on that one. It's it's kind of like if you get, get a couple of agency owners in a room who've run Facebook ads and Google ads for people, and within half an hour, they'll be having they'll be bonding over people who come to them who've never optimized anything and wonder why it doesn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, Speaking of uh, getting people into a room, so tell us just real quickly, because I think this is kind of unique, right? You've had a podcast for a while. So tell us a little bit about your podcast, uh, what you talk about on there, um, how frequent it comes out. Just give a, a little bit about that um, so that uh, the listeners can make sure to definitely check that out as well. Cool. So I have two podcasts now. Um, oh, the awesome. old. Yeah, the old one, uh, which is still going, very much still still around, uh, started in 2015. It's called E-Commerce Master Plan. And every Monday I put out an episode where I interview an e-commerce brand about how they're running their business. So it could be anything from someone who's been up and running for six months through to someone who is turning over hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars um, from all over the world. And we, as of December, we now have an angle where we're trying to promote sustainability as well. So, so most of our guests have done something cool on the sustainability front, whether mm -hmm. it's as simple as removing returns notes from their parcels or whether they've gone all in. Um, we're doing that as well as growth these days. And then my second podcast is called Keep Optimizing. And every month we focus on a different marketing method. And each week we have a different marketing method expert on to talk about that marketing method. So if we do um, email marketing for a month, we'll do an episode on getting more emails, an episode on welcome campaigns, an episode on what's working in newsletters. And so we try and give you like a masterclass across a month where I get to pick the brains of brilliant experts. So keep optimizing an e-commerce master plan and you can find them both via ecommercemasterplan.com. Very cool. So the first podcast, uh, let's talk offline. Uh, there is a brand that's sustainable. They made all of their stuff uh, from water bottles and a clothing cool. brand. So I would love for you to have them on your podcast. Me too. Um, and then secondly, yeah, the other one I will I will definitely check out too. And um, I'm interested in that. How long was that in around again? I don't know if you'd mentioned that one. That one's so keep, keep optimizing has been around for we're going just just starting our third year she says forgetting what year we're even in let alone um what year it started so that that one must have started in 2020 there we go <laughs> awesome <laughs> all right is there uh what's the I, I guess those are two great resources to reach out to you but is there um a good website or anything like that if anybody has any questions or wants to reach out to you personally 
Yeah, if you head to ecommercemasterplan.com, you'll find out how to get in touch with me about my books, anything else we're up to, and both the podcasts are there too. Very cool. Chloe, thank you so much. This is a ton of really valuable information. We're going to have everything linked up in the show notes and um, just appreciate your time. This was this was great. Oh, excellent to be here. Lovely hanging out with you both. And thanks for inviting me on your show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. Before you go, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram stories at VitBraining and let us know what you thought about this episode. And next, make sure to leave us an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us reach more people and continue to improve the podcast for you. All right, guys, have a great day and we'll talk to you next week.